Greetings, everyone, from the future. Before we start this episode off today, I just wanted to let you all know that I had experienced some microphone troubles, which I didn't pick up on until after we recorded the episode. You may hear a slight crackling over my audio, and I apologize and have bought a new microphone, but the episode is already recorded and in the can, so do your best to enjoy and not let it put you off. Now back to the show. Alright, and welcome to the Raw is Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by Richie Von Sexington. How's things, Richie? Uh, I'm on permanent lockdown, and given that I work in IT, unlike playing computer games, that works for me. Yeah, someone whose job's not massively affected, hey? No, someone would say busier. Yeah, I can believe that. My wife's workload is through the roof, but I'm just sat in the other room, half minding the kids, half watching wrestling. So there you go. Nice. What wrestling are you watching besides the wrestling we've just watched? Um, well, actually, I've got a couple of different things on the go at the moment. So I've, I'm going to do a, an episode later in the week um, looking at some classic TVs that I watched just because I wanted to watch them. Um, I've watched the two 96 pay-per-views coming up for if I can manage to hook up with Carl. Um, if not, I'll figure something out and get them out. And I watched No Holds Barred, which will be um, on... I, I chatted about that with Steve over on the Pro Rest, uh, sorry, Positively Pro Wrestling podcast, so that'll be coming out the next day or two as well. Nice one. I've got to be honest, I've, I've been a bit allergic to wrestling of late besides uh, all elite wrestling. I, I just can't. I just can't face... Any modern product. I can't decide if I want to actually spend the money to get a, a Fight TV pass. I think it's the fact that they don't have the pay-per-views included in the sub is stopping me doing it. If they were included, I'd be all over it and checking it out by now. Yeah, it's just those little things, isn't it? Yeah, I just I can't see myself paying you know a similar price that I pay for the network with all that content just to watch Dynamite. All right, and then on top of that, probably 30 or 40 bucks for the pay-per-view. Yeah, so something's going to have to really grip me and make me regret not seeing it before I take the plunge. And that's what YouTube's for. Unfortunately. Probably. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. So we've finished off our little 80s journey and you gave me a few different ideas about things we could look at and one of them really caught my fancy um, and that's what we're going to do now is we're going to look at the first episodes of Monday Night Raw that predate the... um, the timeline that is the basis of this podcast. I'm going to compare them against WCW Saturday Night episodes um, for a comparison piece to where they were at before the Monday Night Wars began. Are you excited to start this off? Actually, yes, which is pretty much the same feeling I had when we started the last journey. Uh, and by the end of it, I wish to commit suicide. <laughs> Please don't commit suicide. I can't do this alone. I, I, I will never watch. I will never reminisce about the uh, old AWA and Vince destroying the territories again. No, we've been there, done that. But early Raw has so many fun moments that I'm really looking forward to. Now, the back end 95 that gets towards where um, the pod- this podcast started, it could be some dark days there. But I just think ahead of all the things we've got coming up, um, Bret Hart and the 123 Kid, Razor Ramon um, and Rick Martel for the Intercontinental title, um, Razor and the 123 Kids, um, 
little program they have on Raw. Some really, really awesome moments happen in this first year or two of Raw, and I'm, I'm quite looking forward to it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a mass blind spot for me. Uh, it's certainly uh, interesting. I've been watching the first one to see where they are now, nearly 30 years later. Yeah, very, very interesting. Um, completely different time. And, um, well, I mean, we'll get into it when we talk about Raw, but, yeah, it doesn't feel, watching the first show, the way Vince has rewrote history to make out that the first show was like an instant groundbreaking change in wrestling. Uh, no, no, it's not. Uh, and we compared it against WCW Saturday night, so for keep the dates as close as possible, we're going the Saturday before the Raw airs. So this Raw, I believe, is January 11, so Saturday night's January 9. Um, so that's probably the way we'll run this most of the way through, um, unless something's preempted or there's a need to change. But it was also kind of cool to watch some 1993 WCW. Not really an era I've watched much of, and something different again. Yeah, I, I've never had a look at it and I just it's it it's a weird comparison I, I think actually it's, it, it's quite showing when you can when you do these two because when Nitro starts Nitro's trying to be like Raw or better than Raw whereas WCW Saturday Night is a completely different beast absolutely so, as we compare the two now, which is what we're here to do, which one did you watch first? I went uh, in time order, so that was WCW. As did I. So, should we head over to WCW Saturday night from Center Stage in Atlanta and have a look? Let's do it. WCW Saturday Night! Ricky the Dragon Steamboat will seek a measure of revenge for the brutal attack at the Clash of the Champions when he meets Barry Windham in the semifinals of the U.S. Title Contender Tournament. The natural Dustin Rhodes will take on hustle-bound maniac Tony Atlas for the second semifinal bout. And we'll see how awesome Big Van Vader won the World Heavyweight Championship for the second time. Plus, much more bruising action next on WCW Saturday Night! Okie dokie. So we get a very um, Vince McMahon-esque throaty introduction here to Saturday Night, which was cool. I'll splice a little bit of that in um, before we start talking about it here for everyone to listen to. And we open up to the commentary team of JR and Larry Zabisco, which was an interesting choice. What did you think about that for a pairing? I, I think you can put JR with a lot of people and it just works. Uh, Larry Zabisco is just a body, but yeah, I don't. there are far more offensive people uh, to come in this podcast when it comes to commentators, so I'll, t I'll take Jim and Larry. Indeed. And um, speaking of familiar names, we go to the opening contest, which is Marcus Alexander Bagwell, predating the Buff Bagwell gimmick, taping on Bob Cook, which is the enhancement talent for the day. Um, the match gets started with um, JR telling us that Marcus Alexander Bagwell is the WCW Rookie of the Year, very prestigious honour, I'm sure. And they start off with some chain wrestling, a drop kick and an arm drag from Bagwell before Bob Cook gets a couple of little spells of offense, mostly punch kick stuff, um, and then a clothesline for a two. But Bagwell catches him out of this little spell of offense with a fisherman suplex and picks up the one, two, three for a pretty short and inoffensive opening contest. What do you think? Uh, nice start. Uh, I mean, it was fun to, fun to see Buff Bagwell in my head. Like, I thought he was new when he's in the American Males in 95, so to see him in 93 
kind of blew my mind a little bit. I, d- I didn't expect him to even exist in wrestling at that point. But it's even weirder seeing him as like, you know, fresh face rookie. Not even an American male, male stripper. Just fresh face rookie. Yeah, indeed. We're then shown some highlights from the first round of the United States title number one contender tournament. Um, Dustin Rhodes went over Vinny Vegas. Um, Tony Atlas went over Van Hammer in the first round. And then we also saw Barry Windham beat Johnny B. Bat, And Ricky Steamboat got the win over Dan Spivey before going out to the commercial break. Um, number one contender tournament. What do you think about that as a concept? I, I like it. Sometimes they... I like how it gives a path to how to get to the belt as opposed to coming out and saying, I want your belt or I want your shampoo commercial. Oh, and your belt or I want your woman <laughs> and your belt. I, it actually, I think, I think it's a bit odd sometimes, but I guess the belt is, is on someone. So at least they've got to give, give some, something to people to do. I, I have more problems. These tournaments is when they, put decent people together and then have to come up with fuckwit ways of getting people to lose without actually being pinned. Absolutely. I'm a big tournament fan, me, when it's done right and has stakes involved. Um, from there, we come back from the commercial and JR and Larry Zabisco talk about the title switch that's happened recently. Ron Simmons has dropped his WCW heavyweight title back to Vader, who he won it from originally. And we get a good promo from Vader and Harley Race, which I'll splice in here. Is right back at the top of the mountain. He is WCW Wrestling, two times world heavyweight champion. He is going to dominate, totally dominate the WCW for the year of 1993 and beyond. Vader is king of the world because I am Big Fat Vader! Uh, it was interesting to find out Ron Simmons' title reign was really about four and a half months. I always thought it was a bit longer than that, but he didn't have the belt all that long. Um, what did you think about the footage of the title change being shown on TV, and what did you think about the promo afterwards? I thought the promo was really good, and there's uh, spoilers, but there's better, I think, from Vader coming on later on in the episode. Uh, I, I like the idea of the belt can be won or lost anywhere, so I've, I've always liked showing a bit of footage, but not the entire match. I think, again... Having gone to a couple, uh, been to house shows or, you know, watching Raw when it's in another country, you just know now it's going to happen. So I, I always love the idea of the belt can be dropped anywhere. So after the promo, we go to our next match, which is Van Hammer taking on Randy Sledge. What do you think about Randy Sledge for a job and name? Good God. I mean, I can't even comprehend. I think this is a dude with the mullet of all mullets. Yeah. It's like you could power a house with it. <laughs> As, I, this, in fact I've been watching the I think like everyone else has been watching the Tiger King and I'm sure Randy Sledge is in it somewhere and I'm sure he's one of the <laughs> characters working in a zoo my god <laughs> I've not started that yet um, I'm meaning to I keep meaning I've actually been stuck on Dark Side of the Ring this last week I've watched the first three episodes of season two and really enjoyed them but I will get to Tiger King at some point <laughs> It's you take a program and you say it's about a man that kept lions in a zoo, and then take anything else except man and tiger love, and it's probably in there. <laughs> 
In the match, uh, we get a couple of hip tosses from Van Hammer, a back elbow and a knee lift. He really doesn't give any offense, unlike Bagwell in the first match. Then it's his finisher, which is a slingshot suplex for the 1-2-3. Um, just a basic squash here for a pretty basic wrestler. I've never been a big Van Hammer fan myself. No, I wasn't overly impressed. And uh, I can't. I, I failed to see how he managed to stay with the company until I think at least 2000. Because that wasn't very good at all. Yeah, absolutely. We then go to a, um, a challenge from Tony Atlas uh, to Van Hammer um, with Tony Schiavone is there with Van Hammer to reply, sorry. Um, it's an arm wrestling challenge that Tony Atlas has offered Van Hammer for the Clash of the Champions coming up. And then a, it was hard to understand from Atlas's promo, but he basically said, I'll be in a arm wrestling match and then I'll be in a street fight later on. Um, turns out he's not in a street fight against Van Hammer. He's actually involved in the big eight-man main event. So it'll be the Barbarian, Rick Rude, Vader and Barry Windham taking on Van Hammer, Sting, uh, Ron Simmons and Dustin Rhodes in a Thunder Cage which we see an advert for and this looks like it's got clusterfuck written all over it. Yeah, I also like the rhymed magnitude with attitude in their little preamble. I thought you don't often get that. The one thing I couldn't work out is whether Tony Schiavone's a midget or if Van Hammer is a giant because I, Tony not only looks about a foot and a half shorter than Van Hammer, but he actually somehow for for his face manages to look smaller as well as if Van Hammer's in the foreground. Yeah, it, interesting. I can't. Van Hammer is a big man, I guess. That's the only thing I can think of. I was like, this doesn't look right. It's like when you play a computer game and the... the uh, it gets all the perspective wrong. You have to restart the level. <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of restarting, um, Z-Man gets a restart in another tag team here. He seems to be... Did Z-Man tag with every young, fresh-faced babyface in wrestling history from the late 80s to the early 90s or what? Because he's with a guy called Johnny Gunn here who I've never heard of. I think he's Barton, uh, Billy Gunn's brother. Even I had a run with him in, like, 92. Didn't get anywhere. <laughs> Yeah, I think that might be more Z-Man's fault. Don't worry about it. Yeah, well, you know, he, he, he just he, he just doesn't get over. What can I say? No. And you can like he, he seems to manage to morph to look like whoever he partners with as well. Like, whoever he's in the ring with, it's always hard to tell them apart, despite the fact that I've seen Z-Man in 18 tag teams. Yeah, it's like the, the week he was tagging with uh, Sid, he would be the same size as Sid if he ever tagged him. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fucking weird. They take on the jobber team of Chick Donovan and Mike Thor. Um, it's not much of a match here again. It's pretty much another squash, which they've all been so far. We get a leg drag and an arm drag from Johnny Gunn. Um, it's a real dark feel to the aesthetic of the arena here, I noticed during this match as well. Um, as I said, they are coming from center stage in the studio, but I just noticed that the, the crowd's not really well lit, despite it only being a small crowd. Um, not really sure why they went that way this far into the 90s, but they did. It was a weird setup, that whole studio, really, I thought. Yeah. We get a backbreaker and a double team elbow from the heels, and then a suplex from Mike Thor. They double team for a two count before Johnny Gunn comes in and takes over with a flying forearm. Uh, Z Man hits a super kick, and Johnny Gunn hits a Luthez press, which is a pinning maneuver for a 1 2 3. Yeah, it was all right. I mean, I, I, I said a lot about uh, Randy Sledge's mullet, but. Uh, I don't think it's Mike Thor. It's the other dude. His hair is... Um, he's got an old man face with what looks like a wig, but he's actually a mullet. You would have to find him because 
you just you take his hair off and he looks like I don't know someone who sits in the corner of a pub, not tough pub, just a pub. He looks like he should be tanning in his speedos at Benny Dorm to meet Chick Donovan. He must be at least fifty odd years old at this point. Yeah, and and, and that hair, if it's if it's his, well done, fella. <laughs> From there, we go to an interview with um, it's Teddy Long interviewing Tony Atlas and Cactus Jack, um, and they're gonna, talking about taking on Eric Watts and Dustin Rhodes, who come into the picture and brawl with them um, and Watts locks in an STF on Cactus Jack as the other two brawl out and has Cactus Jack begging for mercy so doing everything they can to get young Eric Watts over here I fear it may not work uh, I mean I don't, I don't know what it could have been being the son of Bill Watts who was booking this it could have possibly got tried to get him over <laughs> from there we go to our next match which is two cold Scorpio taking on Mustafa Saeed um, excited to see Scorpio here I was quite happy with this we get Saeed starts off, sorry, Scorpio starts off with an arm drag and a super kick, hits a drop kick, a slam, and then the 454, the 123. Really cool to see a 450 all the way back in 1993. And Scorpio seizes out with a bit of funky dancing. As was the style of the times. <laughs> well, we yeah, come back I, from the com- I, was sorry, say, I thought it was a good match. A bit slower than I expected, but I think that's just because the other guy had to keep up with Scorpio. Yeah, and see, I was thinking about this as I watched this match and saw the 450, and I realised I also, I'm watching, um, I was watching some TNA, because I'm about to do their final 2010 Monday Night War review with Duncan, hopefully this week, and um, I was watching the Young Bucks Generation Me as they were in TNA, and realising like the big difference between now and then, or, you know, earlier and later, is that the big moves were either the finish or they were given time to sit and the Bucks and I think it was the Motor City Machine Guns put on some spectacular moves but before you could even clap they were onto the next one and it's like whoa just like do one huge spot, breathe, do another huge spot, breathe but you don't get that? No and I think it it, it does does build, it's, it's basically like watching a Michael Bay film but somehow more Michael Bay-like, so there's not actually any dialogue, and it's just an explosion that gets to a bigger explosion that keeps going. I mean, it'll keep your attention, but you're going to be knackered by the end of it and not remember any of it. Yeah, exactly. From there, we go to Tony Schiavone, um, who is with Barry Windham, and I've put here Tony Schiavone is cosplaying as the 40-year-old virgin because his outfit is a fucking sight. He's got on a check shirt with a red tie, some white dad trainers, and grey jeans. What the fuck was he in? I don't know, but he really shouldn't dress himself. <laughs> or at least put the light on next time. Fuck me. He uh, also looks like uh, sort of like a little boy again. He's sort of like he's, he's sat. Because they're sat doing the interview, not face-to-face, but side-by-side. He's sort of like sat looking like, dressed like that, looking like a little kid, talking to uh, talking to Barry Windham. Is it Barry? Yeah, I think it is. It's yeah, just, it was. It's just, it's just, the whole setup makes him look like a kiddie fiddler. <laughs> and the worst part about this uh, promo from the booking point of view is the fact that Barry Windham's completely in the right. So he's complaining about Dustin Rhodes entering a title match, which he did. It was uh, Shane Douglas and Ricky Steamboat challenging for the, the tag titles against Barry White, Barry White. Fucking hell. I've got to stop writing (laughs) Barry W. (laughs) It was not that smooth. (laughs) 
he was Barry Windham was smooth, but not that smooth. <laughs> anyway, Barry Windham. Fuck, who was Barry Windham's partner? I've completely lost my train of thought now. Uh. Oh, Brian Pillman. Ah, yes. So, anywho, Barry, Barry Windham is, um, he hits Douglas with a DDT on the floor, and Douglas is out cold, and Dustin Rhodes comes down and comes to check on him, ends up on the apron, tags into a match he's not in, and picks up the winning victory, costing Pillman and Windham the tag titles. Barry Windham's got every right to be pissed off. That is some absolute bullshit. You wouldn't stand for that, would you? That's that's entirely wrong. What I liked about this uh, interview is it was both kind of boring but captivating at the same time. I was like, this should be rubbish, but I actually think this is really effective. Yeah, just terrible, terrible. I mean, they do say the best heels are the ones that believe what they're saying. Barry Windham better have believed this because he was right. He, he was the babyface to me. There's no way on God's <laughs> green earth. It's like, oh, well, you're allowed to fuck with a heel because he's a heel. <laughs> like, no, 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 that's bad. bad. Good guys aren't allowed to just muck around with the bad guys uh, just for the giggle. Absolutely. From there, we go to the Battle of the Bullies. It's Tech Shanghai, uh, sorry, Tech Slazenger and Shanghai Pierce taking on DDP and Vinny Vegas. I did not expect to see this matchup. I was quite happy to see this. No, I was uh, certainly, so you got pre pre-Diesel Nash, pre-DDP, DDP. Uh, and they both and look more rubbish there than they do even now. Not to mention pre-Phineas Godwin slash Midian. Yep, good point. So so you've got three people in this match who all looked better later in the 90s. Yeah, interesting. Um, won't be too much longer for Diesel to look better, though. Um Match gets started with an eye poke from DDP uh, before we end up working over on the arm a little bit. Vinny Vegas especially. He hits a gut wrench suplex for a two. DDP hits a bulldog on a suplex. Before Tex comes in and locks on a small package for a two. Hits a clothesline. Tex is over. I, there was this weird thing in the match where every time Tex threw a strike, the crowd went, ooh. Like, but for the whole match, it was weird. Yeah, I mean, unless I've missed uh, Ted slashing Germania, Text slash ninja mania. I, I don't see why they were that pumped up. Unless I was going to say, unless he's a local boy, but that looked like a studio taping. I think they did it in the same place, so it's not like they. It was a hometown boy. No, it was very odd. Um, Tex and Shanghai both work over DDP's leg before he comes back with a neck breaker. Vinny and Shanghai end up brawling, and the ref um, is looking at the is looking at them brawling on the outside. And Tex gets his bull rope and hangs DDP over the top rope in a sick-looking spot. Vinny Vegas spots this, goes and grabs a chair and whacks him with it. And the referee somehow hits a double DQ. Surely if he saw the chair shot, he must know that it was just to break up a hanging. So, again, like, I guess it happened before he could make the call, so it's double DQ. But, yeah, it was a bit of a weird ending. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to think if someone saved me from hanging, they wouldn't get charged with it. Yeah, yeah wrestling logic, though. Book is going to book. We then go to a WCW Up Close segment. It's Tony Schiavone again. This time he's with Vader. And they talk football. And I had no idea Vader was a Super Bowl winner. He's wearing the ring here as well as the WCW title. Did you realize you had the Super Bowl ring? No, I didn't. I thought this... I'd... Vader's, a, like an, I guess, another 
blind spot. I've seen the matches, but I've only really seen it in that like 95, 96, 97 WWF period. And he's got Cornette talking for him. I thought this was an an oddly amazing interview for what he sort of like just the way he was talking. I thought, no, this guy sounds like this guy. I th- I, I, I was actually taken aback at, at, at his promo. I, I just felt like him. Yeah, it, it did. It come across quite well. He can obviously talk. Um, and he offered up a fight to Sting or Ron Simmons if they want to get in the ring with him. And I'd obviously like to see both of those matches again. So bring it on. I also, also I mean, I like the fact that he's a big wrecking machine, but his promo's quite, uh, chi- not chilled, but kind of low-key. He's not doing the shouting promo. And I just think that makes him even scarier. Oh, definitely. From there, we've got our final two matches, which are both semi-finals for this number one contender tournament. The first one is Tony Atlas and Dustin Rhodes. Um, Dustin Rhodes has got some pretty corny music from the WCW Slam Jam album, so I will splice a little bit of that in for everyone to listen to. me it's awful <laughs> and tony atlas is fucking jacked um although his ring wear leaves a little bit to be decided it's basically your early 90s gym attire it's track pants and a tank top it's that is not appropriate for wrestling and like put some fucking effort into your outfit mate it, it was the uh the precursor to the jean uh, shorts and a, and a wife beater yeah, he was a very, very large, black, muscular Billy Kidman. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the the uh, well, let's face it. Everyone who had a wrestling game in like the two thousand early two thousands, that was the go to choice. Indeed, jean shorts, um, du- wife beer. <laughs> Dustin hits a shoulder block for a two. Um, we get lots of single leg trips from Dustin trying to keep. Tony Atlas off his feet so he can't use his power which is quite intelligent um, we get a hammerlock slam from Atlas and then we're told that Rick Rude is out of the main event of the clash that I told you about earlier uh, apparently he's injured and if we tune in at WCW Sunday night show we'll find out who the replacement is I have not done that yet we'll talk about it on the next episode um, Atlas works over the arm Dustin hits a drop kick and a clothesline before hitting a pretty badly botched bulldog, which is good enough to get him the one, two, three. I sort of blame Atlas for that, not Dustin, but it, it didn't look great for the finish. No, no, it wasn't uh, quite as smooth a finish as I would have liked. I, to be honest, I saw the bulldog and then he got the pin. I was like, eh, I didn't even realize it really, really recognize it as a bulldog. Yeah, not great. Then we go to our final semi-final, uh, which is Barry Windham taking on Ricky Steamboat. Uh, Windham hits a really big right hand to start with and really level Steamboat, and this allows him to keep control for a while. Hits a nice slam. Um, we get a near fall with him falling under Ricky Steamboat, who attempts to slam on him. Windham hits a clothesline for a two and works over the arm. Steamboat comes back with a jawbreaker and tries to work over Windham's arm. We get a vertical suplex for a two by Wyndham, and then Steamboat comes back with a suplex of his own. 
Uh, we get Barry Windham landing on the floor off a double shoulder where they both run into each other. Windham gets back in though and hits a gut wrench suplex for a two. Goes up top but gets caught. Steamboat goes up top and he comes off and eats a gut punch, the classic 80s, 90s reversal from a top rope flying move. Wyndham hits a DDT and then a figure four and starts to work on the leg instead of the arm now. Steamboat comes back with a figure four of his own. Wyndham hits a suplex for a two. We get a face buster and a neck breaker as well as a top rope chop from Steamboat. The ref gets bumped and as he's getting up on the outside, Wyndham tosses Steamboat over the top. No mats on the floor, so good luck with that bump. And that's enough for a DQ because Bill Watts WCW is why. Yeah, I, I was a little let down uh, by the by the ending. Uh, the ref bump came, and it's just that initial groan, and then you realise, oh, hold on, it's uh, this will be WCW. Bill Watts. Oh, I know what's coming down. Oh, there he goes, up top row. Yeah, interestingly, we're going to get two baby faces in the in the final now because it'll be Dustin Rhodes taking on Steamboat. But this is not the end of this little argument here because. Wyndham goes to lock on the DDT on the floor again, but Shane Douglas comes out to stop it. Um, the Hollywood Blondes then come out, and Dustin's out as well, and we get a big brawl between the six of them, which ends in Steamboat and Shane Douglas running off um, the Blondes, and Dustin Rhodes and Barry Wyndham brawl to the back. Then the Blondes come back out, and we get an interview, uh, which I'll splice because it's some really classic stuff, Pillman and Austin, before the commentators sign off with the credits. This Wednesday night, live at the Clash of Champions, right here on TBS, these two men, Brian Pillman, stunning Steve Austin, going for the unified world tag team titles. Well, everybody knows that Teddy Long, and everybody knows what great athletes Steve Austin and myself are. But what the wrestling world, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, and Shane Douglas are about to find out is how hungry we are and how we're willing to do whatever it takes to get what we want. So be prepared, because we will get as violent as it takes. I guarantee you, once we step inside the squared circle, it's survival of the fittest. And what are your oh, comments? shut up, Teddy. This week at the class, this Wednesday, it's going to be a contest of epic proportions, because Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas, you've opened a can of worms that you can't finish. We're going to take those titles from you, and I guarantee you that. Well, fans, we're just about out of time. Let's go back to Jim Ross and Larry. What do you think about the um, Blondes promo and what do you think about the show? That was awesome. I, I, I was genuinely shocked at, uh, at the content. I'd, again, like I said, I think I have to preface this with my current jadedness. Of, uh, but I, I just thought it was, I, I, it was a really well-put-together show, given that we're back, still back in a time where you're flogging pay-per-views and house shows. Thought the uh, Hollywood Blondes are, are, are a gimmick for two guys that could have made them a lot more money if it wasn't for the fact that individually there were also two guys that could make a lot of money. Yeah, for sure. I actually really enjoyed this and it's given me some good hope that we're going to be able to do this for a little while without hating uh, life choices. So, um, not a bad start. I also felt that it didn't... Uh, no part of it seemed to drag. There was always something occurring that that was wrestling-based. Yeah, I agree with that. It was a pretty fast-paced show. Lots of things packed into a short period of time. So, yeah, highly enjoyable, and I'd recommend everyone checking out some 93 WCW Saturday Night if you haven't done yet.
bag. And now we're going to head over and have a look at the first ever Monday Night Raw, the historical event. What did you know about the first ever Raw going into this before you watched it, Richie? I didn't actually know that much, which actually I think probably made it easier because it's, I, I, I feel like I'm going into it less with other people's opinions. So I thought, well, uh, give it a go. See how, see, see how uh, obviously they got it perfect from day one. Definitely. <laughs> that's, the, that's the narrative. Um, in reviewing No Holds Barred on the, the PPW podcast the other day, I um, we sort of talked about how, what you remember and then what shocked you going back. And Raw is definitely a great example of this. What I remember from, I mean, I didn't watch it live or anything, but obviously I've watched it, you know, probably 10, 15 years ago. Um, I think it might have been included on one of the DVDs. I'm not sure. Anyway, and then what's different when you go back and watch it. So it's going to be very interesting. The, the first one for me, on at least this episode, I didn't think Rob Bartlett was terrible. Oh my god, I, he got my dick of the week. <laughs> I can't wait to get to that then. Um, <clears throat> don't get me wrong, he wasn't great, but he did at least make me laugh a few times. So I'm going to be very interested to, to hear that. Um, we may as well start on the show. We're January 11, 93, the first ever Monday Night Raw, coming from the Manhattan Center, as all the early ones did. And as alluded to, the commentary team is Rob Bartlett joining Vince McMahon and the Macho Man. Bobby the Brain Heenan is out on the street and can't get in. He's trying to all night, but Sean Mooney insists that it is sold out and he's not on the commentary team. He's been replaced by Rob Bartlett. So this will be an ongoing gag all show. Um, and we get that classic quick Raw uh, clip, that the theme that opened up the first Raw. So very interesting take here. And we get the first looks at the Manhattan Center. What did you think about the opening of the show? I quite like the opening. Uh, it's, given my opinion on Rob Bartlett, it seemed a bit of a waste to have Bobby the Brain Heeman not commentating, but, you know, that's their choice. There's an opening shot I really liked where it shows how uh, kind of small the Manhattan Center really is when people come and you can see the crowd and it just looks a little dirty. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we then go to our first matchup, the first ever Raw match. It's Coco versus Yoko. Coco beware taking on Yoko Zuna. Um, and the first note I've got from the match is Rob Bartlett's comment on Coco Beware when he says, what happened to Gary Coleman? <laughs> that got me off. That started off me with a good chuckle. That, uh, I, I gave him that. I, th I think there's a point in his opening. I can't remember what it was because obviously I've, 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 I uh, was looking through this slightly differently, I think, to you. But uh, there's a bit, he makes a joke that's not, I didn't think was particularly funny. And Vince kind of looks at him and turns to Savage and like almost, you can see Vince going, got to get rid of this fucking guy. You're going to see a lot more of that in coming weeks. Um, I, I think, and I might be remembering this wrong, but I'm sure I, I, when I first got the network, I went back and watched some early episodes of Raw. Not many of them, but a good handful just to see like what it was like on the first year. And I'm certain I remember an episode where Gorilla Monsoon and Macho Man basically ignore him for the entire show. The, the, yeah, the uh, the bit I referred to is you can actually pause the video and see where Vince's heart is breaking. <laughs> Coco uh, bounces off Yoko early before hitting a couple of drop kicks. He then comes with a flying tackle and Yoko just sidesteps him and Coco clotheslines himself on the ropes. Yoko hits a big leg drop, which I, you couldn't pay me enough money to take. Then charges him in the corner, flattens him, and hits him with the bonsai for the one, two, three, making him look very, very dominant coming into the Royal Rumble. Yeah, it says uh, Coco's just there for to be a body. 
And and when you think about it, it's interesting because Raw opens with Yoko versus Coco, and Coco bewares a name, whereas the other show opens with ooh, Jobby Jobberson and someone else. I can't remember his name. Yeah, yeah. and I think this is one of the... Th- Bob Job. The- this is one of the things they tried to paint it as it became all big marquee matches. And, like, there are some good moments on every show, but it's certainly not all this either. So it, it's definitely interesting watching what really happened at the time. Um, speaking of what happened at the time, and this definitely happened, it shouldn't have, but Bobby Heenan talking about Lex Luger, or as he calls him, Narcissus. Narcissus. Oh, when I unveil Narcissus, you are going to love Narcissus. Oh, it's just, it is painful. Yeah, it's not his best work. The name is shite as well. I know it. Like they don't even pronounce narcissist correctly. Like, what's a narcissist? Am I am I wrong? Is that a word that I don't know? No, or are I, they just thick? I, I think they've just added something to it. The uh, even worse, it's Lex Frigging Luger, which again, our, our education during the late nineties, uh, sorry, late eighties, has proven that he was a thing before this. So it's not like. It's a new star. Everyone's going to see him and go, oh, look, it's Lex Luger. This is another thing that that jarred me, right, is I don't remember, like, the Lex Luger unveiling taking this long because didn't he drink that glass of milk in that really memorable segment at WrestleMania 8, which was by now, like, eight months ago. That's an incredible amount of time for him to not be of debut. Like, I know he had the the non-compete and he was supposed to be in the WBF and all that, but I don't remember it taking this long to actually get him on the show. Nah, that, if he's getting paid for those eight months, well done to him. Yeah, fair play. We then go to the Steiners taking on the Executioners. And as you can imagine, if you've ever seen an Executioner in wrestling, it's two guys in horrible black outfits and black masks. And they're about to take a horrible beating because the Steiners do not go easy on jobbers. Oh, they spank him left, right and centre. Potatoes were falling out the bottom of my telly. We start with a big tilt-a-whirl slam from Steiner. We see Doink in the crowd. Rick hits a big Steiner line and a power slam. Scott hits an overhead belly-to-belly and a double underhook suplex. And we get the Doomsday Bulldog for the 1-2-3 in a really good squash. I mean, I wouldn't want to be in the ring, but I do love watching the Steiner brothers beat the shit out of jobbers. Oh, I agree. I really like the Steiners, actually, from this point. Again... Coming into wrestling when I did, Rick uh, Scott Steiner had already probably turned heel uh, and was his more immobile self, uh, whether that was choice or or to fit his new character. But I just just watching them, they're just so dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. This was good. This was good. Um, we then go to Sean Mooney with Bobby Heenan, who's trying to get in again. He's in drag this time, but it doesn't work. And we go into the ring and we see Razor with Vince McMahon. We show footage of him beating up Owen Hart in the backstage area the week before. Um, and he cuts a promo on Brett. Lots of hit mang in there. And he flicks a toothpick at a disgusted Vince to end the segment. But um, he, I notice here, like, this is very early days of Razor. His cadence was very slow. He had to think about, you know, pronouncing every word with that accent. Uh, not the best work he'll do, but you can see that the building of it coming. Yeah, he's got the promo ready. He's just, like you say, he's not practiced enough doing the the old accent. We then go to a advert for the old Headlock on Hunger, and that takes me back a bit of a blast to the past. And Tatanka cuts a promo on the Headlock on Hunger himself. I mean, that should uh, shit up Hunger. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's going to draw too many meals, old Tatanka. 
No, I, I think he should rethink what he's doing. We then go to Max Moon taking on the Intercontinental Champion, Shawn Michaels. Um, this is very much uh, early 90s heartbreak kid. I've got news for you version of Shawn Michaels. Um, looking the part here. Max Moon will not be long for this world. <laughs> Pun intended. No, I, uh, I mean, he's, unless it comes later, he's already jettisoned the uh, rocket pack. I know, I was so disappointed that we didn't get the um, the jetpack entrance. I was really pissed off about that. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was part of that, but uh, there you go. Match gets started with an arm drag from Sean, a Japanese arm drag from Max Moon and a slam. We go out to a commercial, and when we come back, Vince Macho and Rob Bartlett are making an absolute meal out of trying to get the one of them saying uncut, the next saying uncooked, and the last saying uncensored. They try about four times, botching it every time, the fucking idiots. It, it's it's not slick. We get a drop kick from Sean as Rob Bartlett for some reason pretends to phone in as Mike Tyson, and this was possibly the shittest part of the whole show. I know I said he wasn't bad, but this went on too long and wasn't good to begin with. Um, he just carries on and on talking as Mike Tyson and putting lots of um, like innuendo about the guys in the ring as Mike Tyson. Is this what got the dick move of the week for you? Yeah. I just, I was like, you know, you know, you're an unfunny fucker, uh, and I've put up with you for this long. But overall, stop it. it. It's when it crosses for me. It's when it crosses that line from laughing with to laughing at. Um, yeah, and I can, I can, I can definitely see that there. Like he becomes a bit of a prick during this portion of the show, and he's not doing anything to help any of the guys that are wrestling. Uh, see when I. Sorry, go on. I don't mean to keep cutting you off. Jump right yeah. in. So, he's not funny. Some of his... Well, all right, I'm looking at this in slightly older eyes, but a lot of his comedy isn't actually funny. Uh, I, I just I just thought he, 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 he brought nothing to it, and I just thought just everything he said about anyone belittled them, made them slightly worse than they, they already were. Definitely, and I think... He comes across as someone who, like, you know, certain comedians are great with the one-liners, but probably not doing a bit, and he's doing a bit here. And he just needed that little bit of product knowledge to know, hey, like, maybe the 500-pound Samoan, rather than talking about how he's wearing a diaper and a thong and how fat he is and how he needs to get a salad, he's actually about to become our heavyweight champion. So maybe I'll be scared of him, and I'll poke fun at someone who's not about to become the, the face of the company. Like a little bit of product knowledge and knowing when to just zip it for a minute, and he could have been good. But I have a feeling that probably he wasn't given that, and Vince wanted Rob Bartlett, not Rob Bartlett wrestling. You know what, he, what the stories are like of him not wanting, Vince want, not wanting to do wrestling. He probably just said, go on, get on with it. He probably didn't even... He didn't want him to be touched with wrestling taint. Yeah, quite possibly, quite possibly. We get a small package from Max Moon for a two. Uh, Sean hits a back elbow for a two. We get a flying whoopsie off the apron from Max Moon, which looked pretty impressive despite the way I described it. A European uppercut and a corner spinning heel kick, followed by a rolling senton for a two. A uh, good little flurry of offense there. Michaels fights back and hits a chin music, but it's pre-finisher chin music, so he locks up the teardrop suplex for the one, two, three. Nice little match. I mean, Conan at this point can work, and if you didn't know it was Conan, a lot of forward rolls. <laughs> uh, 
And, uh, well, Shawn Michaels is Shawn Michaels. It's weird seeing him win a match without the uh, Sweet Chin music, though. It ain't yeah, right. definitely. I, I enjoyed this, though. I thought it was a good match. Um, we go out of there to a WWF Mania ad and then the Royal Rumble report. I remember, I think, when I was watching some of the early Raws, this is what probably turned me off watching them. These pay-per-view reports just seem to drag forever but we do get a couple of good promos out of Sean and Marty when the Rockers are going to explode at the Rumble and talking about whose corner Sherry's going to be in so I'll splice those two in you know he has been more undeserving of an intercontinental title shot than you Marty Jannetty but being Mr. Cool I'm going to give you one anyway and everybody wants to know where's Sherry going to be Whose corner is she going to be in? Well, I mean, I haven't had a chance to talk to her, but like any woman, she's going to be in the Heartbreak Kids corner. You can count on that. Janetti, Royal Rumble, you're done. January 24th, the Royal Rumble. I'm going to call it Marty Janetti Day because that's the day I'm going to get everything I want. I'm going to capture the Intercontinental Championship. And more than that, I'm going to end the career of you, Shawn Michaels. And you're talking about Sherry being in your corner. You know all about Sherry. Well, maybe you don't know Sherry as well as you think you do. And we finish off with promos from Mr. Perfect, Yokozuna, and Hacksaw, who's going to try really hard to win the Royal Rumble. What did you think about the Royal Rumble report and all the spliced-in promos here? <laughs> it was quite good. I did like uh, Jim Duggan's honesty. He's like, I might not win it, but, I'll, you know, I'll do my best. I'll, I'll try. But at, I'm not making any promises. <laughs> but at least I can't get pinned. Yeah, yeah, he was like, but, uh, you know, I can't lose. You can't technically lose. I've not lost. But I, I, I think, I think it's, it, it kind of fit, even though the program was 45 minutes, but I think because the Rumble's a big event, I'm not sure I would be that interested when they start doing, like, in your houses, if they wasted... Spent this much time on stuff that didn't matter. Yeah, definitely. From there, we go outside again. Sean Mooney's with Bobby Heenan, who's dressed up as a Jewish guy um, with the fake beard and hair. Um, slightly offensive, this one, and not as funny as being in drag, but it was what it was. Yeah, the joke uh, had, had probably extinguished itself by that point. We then see footage of Slick saving Kamala from Kimchi and Harvey Whippleman, and basically turning Kamala babyface, which would pretty much doom him the rest of his time in the Fed. Yeah, yeah, I, th I thought it was a nice little package. Uh, it's odd that they didn't build to that on the show. Yeah, definitely. And then we go to our main event. It is the Phenom, The Undertaker, main eventing the first ever Raw, up against Damien, I'm not a jobber, Demento. Someone out there called me a jobber. You better be careful what you write down. You don't call a wrestler a jobber. I ain't never done a squash match, buddy. I know you're just some some type of stupid little mother mark who who read something in the kayfabe sheets, and you think you're gonna get you're gonna get me all upset because you call me a jobber. Well, you know something, you punk ass bitch, you did. I'll tell you what a jobber is. When I first went to the WWF, and I had, they wanted to showcase me, I had to go out there and squash guys. Well, the guy I squashed was a jobber, and George Steele told me, you don't give them nothing. 
They're just there to take a beat and to make you look good. That's what the business is all about. And all you do is you pulverize them. And that's what I did. So you best be careful what you write down if you call me a jobber. Well, I've got to tell you a uh, little secret, Damien. Uh, there was only about five minutes left on my uh, timer, which suggests that you are indeed a jobber. <laughs> Undertaker opens up with a face plant and goes old school. Um, we get a second rope axe handle from Demento, which is about all the offense he gets, that and a shoulder block. And then Undertaker hits a flying tackle and a tombstone for the one, two, three in what looked a little bit like a squash match, even though it wasn't against a jumper. Yeah, I mean he he was he was invited to the party, but he certainly wasn't allowed to drink any beer. <laughs> we then wrap up the show with hearing that next Monday night we'll see a cage match between Woody Allen and Mia Farrow. Uh, I'm not up on my early '90s American pop culture, so I couldn't tell you what that's all about. I have a feeling that's when Woody Allen was accused of having relations with one of his adopted kids. Ew, okay, gross. Well, it wouldn't be an episode of this podcast if uh, something like that didn't wing its way into our uh, conversation, I guess. How do you and I all review old wrestling and always end up talking about incest and pedophilia? Like, this has got to stop. <laughs> yeah. Operation U-Tree will be coming to get me over here. <laughs> Just gonna start skipping ahead and make sure there's no more undesirables on these shows. I think we're gonna find it tough yeah. with '90s wrestling. Just a little bit. Last segment is Doink with Vince McMahon. Um, this brings out Crush Bra. Uh, he wants Doink to stop making the kids cry, bra. Uh, but he gets shot with a water pistol and chases him. They finally let Bobby Heenan in as the show ends, and that wraps up the first ever Raw historic night. But not the you know massive changing of the guard. I mean. Let's talk now the difference between Raw and WCW because I will give them like they're not entirely lying. Raw felt brighter, fresher, and different to what was on offer on Saturday night, which was two days earlier, so as close as you can get. Um, and it definitely felt different to the old superstars tapings and whatnot. But it wasn't star-studded gangbusters hit right from the start either. What did you think? I <sighs> hmm. I think Raw had a lot of potential, and you can definitely see in, in Raw, it's a show that's got wrestling on. It's not a wrestling show, just with the, the way that the you see the, like Vince is almost like a chat show host in between sections, whereas JR and Larry are very much talking about the match. I, I can see why a lot of people were WCW fans at this point and wouldn't comprehend the idea of moving to Raw, you know that lost. They reckon there's like the lost generation of wrestling wrestling fans that when WCW closed in 2001, just stopped watching. And I, I think you can see that there's no way they would watch Raw while having watched Saturday Night because it's it's a completely different beast. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Jr. and Sabisco basically treat it like a sport you can see that whereas you're not going to accuse the wwf of being a sport when doink comes out and squirts crush with a water pistol so i definitely agree with you on that <clears throat> i guess the the big question now is which was made for the better show at the time so let's run through some ratings first of all who do you think had the hotter crowd uh ooh, i think 
the hotter crowd for me was probably WCW, but I think that is probably because I watched the program longer. It's difficult on the shows that are different times because it's it's harder to to sort of like combine the the two different running times. But I think WCW they seem to have a a more understanding of the of the crowd, and you know that guy did love Tex Lazinger. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. That probably distorted me a little bit, but I still went with WCW. I agree with you on that. Um, as far as storyline advancement, I probably went with a tie. WCW did more in-house storyline advancement with that tournament going on all through the show, but WWF did keep you up to date with all their angles, build up Yoko as a big monster, and have plenty of promos in the Royal Rumble report to advance all the stories we needed to see. So I couldn't split the difference on, on storylines. Who did you go with for that? I'd slightly edge WCW, but I just think that's because they were building up to that clash. Uh, they seem to have more to tune in next week, whereas I think Raw had a lot more standalone stuff that didn't necessarily feed into a storyline. But I don't think there was much in it. Yeah, fair enough. I um, With the characters, who did you go with for, for characters? Who do you think featured more? I guess, keep in mind, WCW ran half an hour longer, but who do you think had the better showcase of characters on the show? Actually, I think the better showcase of characters, more memorable was uh, WWE, but that's like their style of uh, characters. Anyway. Just, you know, you've got The Undertaker, Yoko. Everyone was distinct, whereas, and it comes back to that thing we often have with the NWA, WCW, a lot of the other guys on the other side were interchangeable. I agree. I actually think WWF... Um, also showcase their characters better. We had Undertaker and Yoko both in matches. We had Crush and Doink out on display. Steiner's in a big squash. Um, Shawn Michaels and Max Moon in a decent match, and then lots of promos from other guys. WCW didn't have Sting on the show, didn't have Ron Simmons on the show, and only had promos from a couple of the other main eventers. So while there was a lot of name talent on the show, their main event guys weren't on Saturday night. So went with the WWF slightly. I also went with them for production value because that's the one noticeable difference here from Raw is it's better produced than what WCW is offering up. Um, brighter, flashier, and has more of a different format. It's not the same old wrestling show feel. Who did you go with for production? I'm, I'm assuming the same, but feel free to correct me. Yeah, yeah, no, the, uh, the, the... WCW looks exactly the same as they've been doing it forever, but somehow... Considering it's the same week, one seems like, I don't know, early 1993, and the other one seems like modern 1993. One's retro, one's modern. Uh, so definitely WWF wins. Now, for match quality, I went the other way, and I went with WCW. I thought the tournament was... Um better wrestling than what we saw over on Raw. Yoko and Coco wasn't terrible. Taker and Demento wasn't terrible. And the Steiners were in a good squash. And Michaels and Max Moon was actually really good. But actually, I might have just talked myself out of that now. You know, there was no bad wrestling on the WWF. I think I'm going to have to call a tie on match quality as I run that one through my own head. Um, WCW had longer matches, but it was just a longer show. Nothing in the ring for the Fed offended. And we saw Marcus Bagwell versus Bob Cook on WCW, so that's got to take a point back. So I'm, I'm going to go with a tie on match quality. Which way did you land? I can't argue with you. None of it was particularly boring. I think that the, uh, like you say, there, were, there was more on WCW to bring it down, whereas, like you say, 
Max Moon versus Shawn Michaels was a really good match. So that, interestingly enough, puts WWF up by the skin of their teeth on night one, and I think they had a slightly better show. They probably squeezed as much into their hour as WCW did their hour and a half, so that's probably why we're landing where we are. But very enjoyable overall. I really enjoyed doing this for the first time and looking forward to running through some more of these with you, Richie, if you're keen to carry on down this path. It's a lot easier than watching three hours of Vern. (laughs) Well, in that case, then, we've got some weekend homework this week, then, to to bang on the next episode. Yep, I've talked myself into it. Amazing. Yeah, we'll definitely, I think we'll be able to get together a lot more often if we're doing shows that run for an hour. It's a lot easier to set set aside time to watch them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for jumping on with me. I know you've got a very hectic day and you had your, you gave me your spare hour, so I really appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will try and get as much content out to you in the next few weeks as possible. I don't necessarily think our podcast is going to be the big difference maker in, in a pandemic situation, but if it keeps you occupied for an hour when you're bored at home, then so be it. The podcast that saved the world. <laughs> I'll, I'll ride it once I know the world's definitely saved. I don't want to get blamed if it goes to shit. <laughs> no, no, don't don't leave yourself open to a Trumpism. <laughs> All right, well, thanks, everybody, once again. You can catch us on Twitter if you want to chat about the show or we missed anything. Otherwise, we'll see you all again very soon. Toodaloo. The end is here. The game is over No more pretending